I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Of course, very excited once again to chat about film and they have got my good friend and artistic-minded lover of film and anything curious in the world. It's Callum, of course it is. He's here again. How are you doing today, Callum? Excellent. Absolutely superb, in fact. Um which are adjectives you don't necessarily hear me use on this no, podcast. No, but I'm, it's I'm usually... happy to hear you use them. No, indeed, it's usually just yeah, I'm good, I'm good, but no, feeling superb. <laughs> superb. Um, which is it isn't. I mean, I'm I'm very hungover, um, <laughs> but I still feel superb bizarrely. Um, and well, that just shows, isn't it? What a good place you must be in. No, indeed, yeah. I think, I think it's because life is coming back, and I said I've said this many times before. Well, life is coming back to normal. A little bit of it, and it is anyway. Um, I've had a good week. I've ran, played football, did a bit of exercise. That's probably why I'm feeling all right, you know. A million dollar man. Drinking more water and exercising more. Who'd have thought that two of those things would make yourself feel better? <laughs> Who would have right. thought all these years and that was the solution? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. But good. I'm excited to hear that you've been getting out there enjoying more life as it's been presented to us because we do enjoy a bit of life especially here in the glass a film club with life lovers but more importantly with film lovers and we've got a big film today we've been teasing this one for a while because whew, it was probably maybe about six episodes ago now we watched mank which was it won an oscar this year but that was about the writing of the film that we have watched today so we wanted to give ourselves a little bit of a gap between we reviewed it of course didn't want overload but now is the right time a historical piece of art as Callum kind of described it earlier to me but a very important film that we had never watched and felt the need to so I'll hand it over to you Callum what was the film and what was it about? Citizen Kane is the film it was uh, made in 1941 um Produced and directed by Orson Welles, um, and Herman J. Mankiewicz uh, co-wrote the screenplay for the film. Um, it was Welles's um, first film, and it's been dubbed the greatest film ever made, um, quite consistently in all sorts of polls and in the I don't know the, the film analysis community, if such a thing exists. Um, it's been consistently ranked the greatest film ever made um it examines the life and legacy of charles foster kane who is basically a a media baron owns um several newspapers um and it, it expands his influence across america basically um and the film starts with an obituary film about kane's life um kane eventually dies obviously um, but the film starts with his death and then kind of works backwards, really. Um, it shows him living in a mansion in Florida called Xanadu. Um, and I suppose it's about... We'll come back to that later, but I suppose it's about people's relationship um, with knowledge, really. Um, 
he owns these newspapers and he manipulates public opinion and um sort of that i guess the birth of modern media in a way um in that respect and how the modern media has connections with mechanisms of power um and throughout all of charles foster kane's life he interacts and socializes and marries quite influential people within um american politics or the sort of the mechanism of the nation i guess um uh yeah so it just follows um charles foster kane's life he was a child born um in a in a sort of wintry snowy i guess i was looking at it, i was thinking he was born in, into like a homesteader's life i guess sort of that early sort of 19th century tradition of um being born in a, in a log cabin on in the middle of nowhere and then having nothing and then going from nothing to everything um and there there are themes of that sort of american the sort of american dream playing playing in there or at least the complications of that um but yeah it's i guess about knowledge and modernity and how all of those things inform our relationship with the world um i don't want to give too much more to be honest because we're gonna delve a little bit deeper and that, that was that was incredibly incredibly nuanced um but we'll unpack it all yeah. that's citizen kane for you Thank you already, Callum. That was delightful. These overviews are getting better and better by the week. So I think we'll have to have a sub-series where we just play these and people can listen to them back to back. Maybe that's what people just listen to. They cut off. Like, no one's listening to this chat now. They heard that summary and they move on to the next one. And I wouldn't blame them, actually, because they're that good and the waffle that does follow sometimes can be overwhelming. But we pursue. <laughs> we, we carry on with the waffle. My first reaction to this film, well, I'm not even going to go with reactions to start with. I'm going to say before I watched it, there was a lot of pressure I felt in watching this film. Because as you said in your introduction, often lauded as the greatest film ever made. Historical, huge uh, historical references gets bring, brought up over and over again. Orson Welles, obviously very famous there's a lot on me thinking, okay, we're doing this for the podcast. This is critically acclaimed. Okay, I need to switch on and should love this film. So to dive into straight away felt tricky to get into because it is such an alien watch as opposed to films that we would normally watch. Obviously, for the reason that it was filmed in the 40s, it's in black and white. It's a totally different style. But also, it was throwing in a lot of things that I didn't expect. It was a little bit weirder than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be quite a straight, tight, scripted film. But there's a lot of gothic elements in it, especially the opening scenes, very gothic, where you then see um, the kind of death scene of of Cain. And you've got the lightning, you've got the drama, the tense music. I'm like, this isn't what I was expecting of it. So going through that element, it threw me off straight away. So it took quite a while to get into it. And definitely throughout the film, I was checking into myself going, okay, is this resonating with me? Am I into it? And genuinely, it was only the closing scene where I made my final decision of, yes, this was good. Like, it was a good film. I enjoyed it. And it was very formulaic like that for me because... It does make you grapple with a lot of different things that you have to get into that vibe of a film, a very early piece of cinema, 
in a different style than I was expecting as well. So that threw me in loads of different directions. But I do love a film where the script comes around full circle and you feel that everything that's been building in the film is then in that last moment justified. And not necessarily in a way that a rom-com is where everyone gets together at the end and you have the full narrative circle. It's like, great. It's frustrating in a film where you leave an open end and that's sometimes relevant to a film to do that. But this was so good because there was so much complexity to it and it was very hard to keep up with a lot was going on just very simply because there was a lot of flashbacks in it and you were thrown so much information at you and it was very fast paced. So then to achieve getting a very clear bit of emotion and message in there to be wrapped up at the end with this through line of the name Rosebud, which he says is his last word as he dies. And then the whole film is this reporter trying to find out from people he knew who it was or what it meant. And then you see at the end that shot of his childhood sledge go into the furnace and see that it was named Rosebud. We can dig into exactly what that meant, but it all came together. And I think because there was so much thrown at me at the beginning, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is a bit overwhelming and it's not working. But the last, if you stop short two minutes before the end of that film, I think you think, hmm, didn't quite work. But to watch the last two minutes make everything in the film make sense and worthwhile. So a lot to take on. It was a very... Uh, tough watching films had to focus hard on it but I was really satisfied by the ending so yeah that was my initial uh, reaction to it what about yourself Callum how did you deal with seeing a film that was totally different to what we normally watch no yeah indeed it was um, when I was watching it um, it's it's just layered with so much nuance um, and I think Wells I think he was kind of ahead of his time in many ways Um like when he was like this film, really, it just it's it feels so contemporary, particularly because it's about a guy who owns lots of newspaper, he owns a newspaper which dominates um, pe- how people access knowledge and how people understand it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he has connections with all these sort of systems of power as well, like he marries the niece of the president of the United States, for example, and um like and ends up running for governor and i just think this is like our modern pol- our mo- modern politics mm-hmm. like how you know media is supposed to tell allow people to access the truth but it's like that truth is so manipulated Absolutely. like how how do you, how do you know what is what is truth and i think what the film does so well is that it takes the innocence of his youth so when he's living in that sort of like sledging in the snow, um, like, and then the is he's basically the kid's basically he's basically sold off into this sort of like rich um, system of privilege, and he ends up sort of uh, building an empire, but then that his empire collapses, and it's he's kind of just landfill in by the end, like, and. Yeah. Yeah. The, when the camera zooms out and all his belongings they've all just been packed away and his legacy is is being sold off and compartmentalized and and taken and, and redefined and all that sort of stuff and it's it's just so contemporary like Cain is basically a myth like it's the mythology of him as a person and 
Um, yeah, the uh, the thing that struck me as well was the um, my brother got me uh, two anthologies of romantic poetry for my birthday. <laughs> I am I have a cigarette in my mouth now, and I'm just flicking my fringe, <laughs> flicking my fringe. <laughs> Strong black coffee as well. Absolutely. Um, but uh, <laughs> the um, reference to Xanadu and the, the Coleridge poem. Um, I did a bit of research about it, and um, there's it's just very, it's a very sort of intellectual arty film in how it wants to put forward the message, um, and it's using that fusion of literature and uh, sort of poetry, sorry, and um, and filmmaking to critique um, people's relationships with um, sort of miracle and creation, because like. Coleridge's poem, um, that was of Kublai Khan when he references Xanadu, was written after he did like some sort of like an opium trip, after he'd been reading about um, I think it was the Yuan Dynasty, I think, and um, basically it's it, the the poems about um, like chasms of grief and mist and how decadence and um ignores and, and ignorance and like kind of the ignorance of nature and how like power when you have a lot of it dehumanizes you and that's exactly what happens with Cain like his, his entire legacy is reduced to um just product and like and the everything's packaged away and um sort of the 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 symbolism in the poem about fountains represents the life and the sort of the lifespan of a human and then the from a violent birth um, it's referenced that Cain's um, father beats him, for example, um, or at least, sorry, is 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 I think it's his father in the homestead in in the in the log cabin. Anyway, he's beaten as a young child, and and then he he comes to sort of a sinking end, and and I guess sort of with Kublai Khan's creation, it's kind of like Coleridge implies that that's a miracle. The creation of Kublai Khan is a miracle, and then we're reminded juxtapose that with Cain's empire. Um, that his media empire it's kind of like a miracle that he's managed to create this but then when you actually delve a little bit deeper with the reasons how he's been able to create it it's a critique of the sort of consciousness of the American nation that money and power um, are inextricably linked and the birth of modern media modernity, the modern world um, once you once you throw that into the the pot of power um your 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 influence is 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 is, is everlasting and that yeah. that for me the the i had to i had to make quite a lot of notes <laughs> to sort of really sort of think about and how to conceptualize this film um but yeah for me that it's laden with symbolism and it's a film about modernity i think absolutely there's so many things i want to pick up there i don't know where to start but i think <laughs> the main one that you talked about and i think deserves to go a bit further into is what you were saying there about at the end how his legacy has been sold off as essentially a collection of what's well, mainly statues they focus on he spent a lot of money on his statues but obviously he's got his huge mansion that he's built with loads of land around it but it's just a, a kind of sold off in an auction style way there's nothing specific linked to him which shows that everything that he has built is built on emptiness 
And I mm. love in the film how they do this, as you mentioned, to show the different stages of his life. And it flicks a bit between them, but very specifically when I think he's 25 and he first um, goes and joins the newspaper and he writes down the founding principles. Yeah. And there's two ways yeah. of looking at that. First, and I think both are true and relevant. The first one is that the power and the drive for more money and wealth corrupt him and he steers away from his founding principles and that's where it leads him to and there's the critique of capitalism and the way that america is run and what it uh, aspires towards but then there's the uh, one that goes a little bit deeper and i think this is probably a bit more truth in this one is that he never actually believed those things that he was writing they were just to please other people they were just the right thing to do at the time to get him to the next stage of power, wealth, and influence. He was just saying them. He might have thought he believed them at the time, but he's the kind of man who will just do what he needs to in front of him to move on to the next step. It's empty, it's vacuous, as is the whole system that he succeeds in. Because if a man like that succeeds by being empty and vacuous and goes to the pinnacle of the capitalist society in America, then obviously he's the representation of what you should be. And it's a whole built on emptiness and there's no real meaning to it, which is why at the end, when we see everything being sold off, there's no value in that apart from its monetary value. He's not built anything of real value. It's just wealth. And that is shown when he's he then fires uh, the guy who... Um, started at the paper with him at the beginning Leland is he called and mm. he's kept the document with the founding principles on and he posts it back to him after he fires him and Kane just rips it up and throws it on the floor showing that that doesn't mean anything to him anymore or, or the fact that he can't allow himself to connect those emotions because that's not how he operates in his life and his wife, his second wife, bangs on a lot about that to the end of the film. Like, you buy me all the things that you think I want and spend all this money on me, but you've never actually bought anything that I like or want. You've built me an opera house and made me go and tour America and then written all these newspaper reviews about how great I am, even though I'm terrible. You never actually bought me anything of value. And I think that's one of the biggest driving things of the film is, yes, obviously it's a critique of power and greed and capitalism and things like that. But I think that's just your kind of surface level. When you go into it a bit further, there's this idea of emptiness and he doesn't build anything of value to himself and doesn't actually feel any connection towards it and doesn't leave a legacy that anyone can connect to beyond just the money just like the money was passed on to him. There was no link to him. There was no connection to that money. It was just wealth. So I'm going to ride into this, but I was going to say this one, but I'm going to ride into it, is that the only time is then at the end of the film where we see the one thing of value to him is this idea of Rosebud, which we find out at the end is he says it once when he looks into the snow globe and obviously he's thinking about his childhood in the snowy setting. But when his sledge, which is called Rosebud, is burning in the furnace at the end, we realise that his dying word of Rosebud was referring back to this. And essentially he's longing for his childhood where he had the only time where he wasn't linked to wealth 
at all was the only time he felt any true meaning he had value in his life and really all along he did all these things never managed to achieve it but he was longing for something deeper and more value in his life and all this was a cover and he never actually got it and i think the film shows that so well and this is what i was saying in my initial thoughts on it why the last two minutes are perfect because without the last two minutes you just see the rise and fall of a powerful man in america and you see a criticism of um how he controls the media and how he treats people and the excesses of wealth the last two minutes change the film's meaning to yes it's still that but it's it's the longing of someone who's going after that they're not doing it for the wealth they're actually trying to fill a void within themselves through all of these things and that is the most cutting element of the film and that's what really gets you then because then you feel for him you feel kind of sorrow but then you feel angry at the system that allows that to happen someone can go through the whole life and be the pinnacle of society but not have any meaning in the life at all and yeah they're the the main things that stood out to me off the back of that so i just wanted to throw those in but just i wanted to kick it back over to you callum because another bit that you talked about and i think it's worth discussing some more is this look at the media and the control of people's thoughts and how relevant that is to now also just quickly thinking this is in the same era that uh, 1984 was written as well so it's obviously something that's on the mind of people at the time and there is that scene which i mentioned to you earlier before we started recording of where he's just run for governor there's the scandal so he doesn't get in and his newspaper are holding up two front pages and they have the one ready to go to print where it says Kane becomes governor. They have to throw it away and go, oh, we're going to have to run this one. And it's not Kane loses the election. It's there must have been fraud at the polling station, which obviously is just what happened with Trump in the election last year. And I remember reading about this in articles at the time, like it feels like Citizen Kane. So I just wanted to throw that back to you, Callum. Obviously, mm. if you want to chat about what I just said, but that element is another real strong part in the film as well, don't you think? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it, that it, the recalibration of, um, you know, what is truth and I think the fusion of childhood innocence and sort of modern corruption, I think, is a really, really great way yeah, yeah, yeah. to show the collapse of um, of sort of of uh, reason. I think mm-hmm. because when Cain is a child, um, there's a sort of nostalgic innocence there. Life is simple. He has a sledge. He loves his childhood, and it's quite a popular sort of stylistic trope to use in childhood there is innocence because whenever you look back on the past particularly when you're an adult and you've experienced lots of different sort of lots of different things whether it be trauma or experience or or anything like that and then you you always look back on your childhood with a sense of innocence because you have a there's the you just it's like Walter Benjamin described it as like looking through the wrong end of a telescope. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you've got you know, the experience of your life laden with experience on the weight of your sh- on the weight of life on your shoulders, and then you look back and it's the the, the act of remembering is inherently melancholic um, in some respects. And I think, like 
there's an innocence when he's young and then when he gets older that innocence is destroyed um even when he's a young man and he's and he finds the newspaper on relatively progressive principles of i want to allow people to access truth and then he just ends up becoming more and more corrupt and that innocence is eroded um and i think it's uh, quite a powerful statement about um how uh how, how how society is a it's, it's, it's in a state of rot, I think, particularly in this time period. I mean, I'm quite glad that we watched Mank before we watched this because it actually provided quite a nice bit of context. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like around like research. Yeah, indeed, around like sort of, you know, why why did Orson Welles direct it in this way? Why did um, her Mankovitz write these themes into it? And it's like, well, there was the threat of like sort of the, the, the like communists in Hollywood. Um, rise of fascism in europe and i mean if there is ever a critique about sort of propaganda and how that is how it manipulates public opinion um i guess it's this because it's drawing parallel it's certainly drawing parallels with um with fascism in europe about how newspapers were censored how newspapers were manipulated and um stories were manipulated and how media the thought police controlled people's lives and there's a whole it's, it's it's perfect for the context of the 1940s i think um and yeah i said off air i was like citizen kane basically speaks feels like rupert murdoch like yeah um yeah oh it, it, it's it, the, that fusion of innocence and then the collapse of innocence i think is quite is quite salient actually um, that's what makes 19 19- 84 such a timeless book and one of the greatest i think Mm. the same quality that citizen kane has is that the themes that run through its core are still so relevant now Mm. and the piece of art and the way that it depicts them are so true and clear that okay yeah it still resonates now but it's so understandable and it cuts deep in the way that depicts it there's so many films and books out there that critique of how society are run and capitalism and modernity but the ones that really stand out like 1984 and citizen kane are the ones that really resonate and cut through and i feel like it's got that same quality as 1984 and this is what i was saying before initially to get into the film was tricky because I wasn't used to this type of filmmaking in the sense of I've not watched that much cinema from that era. But the storytelling of it, I think the script's fantastic. I love how it's so complex, if you think about it, because it goes in so many different directions and you're following this dual narrative of the research of his life by the news reporter, but you're actually following the life of Kane throughout it. But it's jumping back and forth between different eras of his life. So you've got all these different narratives going on while still trying to understand these messages. And I think it's put across really well. And I did really enjoy watching um, a piece of cinema made in a different era because obviously straight away it's filmed in a different aspect ratio. So they address the camera differently. And I really enjoyed the use of the close-ups very tightly to get the emotion in different ways. There's some strange angles you wouldn't normally expect. I just think as a piece of uh, visual art as well, it was great. 
Well, stylistically, the point that you made there about how it plays with narrative, I think, is actually quite it's an interesting thing. And I just thought of it just now, like how knowledge and how people access it, it's so layered. And you're constantly, you're, there's so many different points of view. What do you believe? What is truth? The point that you mentioned earlier about how the headlines are constantly changing the same event, but it's several interpretations of that event. And because the film is playing with narrative and your vision of your vision of Citizen Kane changes as the film goes on, depending on what part you are in his life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a stylistic device. And it's a wider comment on, again, people's relationship with knowledge. They're constantly interpreting knowledge through different ways and different sources and different contexts it really does complicate the idea of um what is what is truth basically and that's what that's what kane that's what kane's newspapers are about you don't but by the time he gets older he, he no longer cares about truth well that's not correct actually he does no longer he taught he's he, he he no longer cares about truth, but then until he get until he's on the verge of divorce and his wife leaves him, and then when he's old and frail, um, and the only thing that he has left are these sort of neoclassical statues and these huge that that scene when he's walking through his massive palace and um, he walks past the mirror, and you can see the ref- his reflection reflected in several different mirrors, and it's like Kane. There's so many different versions of this human being. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was that stylistically, that was great. Um, and by the end, he's like, "Oh, well, actually, I'm quite the. What have I got to show for this? Really, the purity of my life was when I was a child. Mm-hmm. That's when it was most pure. Um, so I think stylistically, that adds to the narrative of of decay. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's I really like what you said there, um, and I think stylistically, it does a lot. It's something that you could analyze for the visuals over and over, and also the constructs of the scripts. But one thing I mentioned before, and I just want to go over again, is how unexpectedly gothic it was. I didn't realize there was going to be so many gothic elements to it. Mm. Like it's creepy, it's eerie at points, and especially that closing scene, which I think is absolutely fantastic from a visual perspective. And it's just showing the reporters leaving his house saying they didn't figure out what Rosebud was or who Rosebud was. And the camera just in installments goes wider and wider and showing all of this uh, stuff, essentially, that's been collected in his house that's been sold off. And it goes wide and it's just a slow shot and there's nothing else going on, just that. And you can feel it's building towards something. But there's an eeriness to it. Obviously, with it being black and white, it helps the gothic elements. But with the inclusion of the animals in it at points, and there's so many tropes of the gothic feel. And then obviously it hits towards Rosebud burning at the end. And that's another gothic thing, this idea of like a word with mystery to it. And I didn't expect it. I thought this was something just your kind of classic american it had a very tight script and it was all in the scripting and the dialogue but it made me uncomfortable at times which is what it should have done that was the whole point of it and i admire that it was such a bold bit of filmmaking to bring all these styles together and like you said also the references to the romantic poetry as well it's a real literary film Mm. um executed wonderfully 
And I think that's probably why it gets the plaudits it does over and over again because filmmaking, fantastic, but the things it stuffs in there successfully uh, are spot on. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, great. I think, Callum, we're going to have to round off here because we are going to get into the danger of where we have before, really kicking towards the hour mark. So let's give our overviews. Uh, add anything in that you'd like to say that you haven't mentioned already. But as we've realised, I think just having this chat now, we realise how much there is in Citizen Kane and what it does mm. offer. So wrap it up for us. Give us your uh, out of ten, and then I'll give mine as well. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it ten out of ten, and not i wouldn't necessarily and this is going to be quite a quite a complication really i wouldn't be in a rush to watch it again because Mm -hmm. it's quite dense but as a as a film and the way it's made stylistically and what it represents and what it means i think it's just bloody brilliant the cinematography is fantastic the script is really intelligent. The script is very is layered with metaphor, layered with meaning, and I think because it's it's it's, it's a timeless film, it's so issues in society now. You could use Citizen Kane as a as a key film to critique what's happening now, and I think any any piece of art that remains eternal, I think, is incredibly powerful. That's why I'm giving it ten out of ten. Fantastic, thank you, Callum. I'm going to go 9 out of 10. Solely just drop off 1 because I always try and go from a personal perspective and because it did take me a good 45 minutes or so to get into it. Very much just because of my perspective of not watching much films like this. I'm going to knock that one off just for the viewing experience. But if I were to watch it again, hey, it might creep up to that. I agree with you on all those points. It's a great literary film, but there's so much in there that you can take from it in terms of comparison of the modern day or context of any time so much detail in terms of the press and control of thoughts and as i've said links so much to 1984 i imagine that comparison has been made over and over again but that really resonated with me and also the unique critique it gives of capitalism and greed and and wealth the one big thing that jumped out to me and i think hit me most and this is slightly off what might be the main ones but it's the idea of happiness Mm. is that it talks a lot through it that the only reason that he does things is to get people to love him, but he never actually loves anyone. Love's just a kind of commodity for him to collect and he can't offer it. And the whole rounding off with the Rosebud through line, as I've said, I love the concept of that and it works so well to give that extra bit of meaning to it. It takes the film from just being another critique of greed, wealth and capitalism and brings that through line of, the pursuit of happiness which we know is an american line from declaration of independence it's something that's core to that american mindset of Mm -hmm. the ability to pursue happiness and this film rounds off in that going he pursued happiness all his life but never got it felt empty because he wasn't pursuing the right things and he realized on his deathbed the happiness was in his life, the very small section of his life that was not linked at all to his wealth or his empire. And I think such a beautiful sentiment which just cuts you from nowhere at the end, but yet laid on all the power of the other imagery. Fantastic, unbelievable script, and just great to watch a film from that era to see the cinema of what is early cinema 
um, and how it all came together. So very glad we finally got around to watching it. Citizen Kane, well done to everyone involved. Um, you know, little round of applause there. <laughs> and just as a little extra, one thing that I enjoyed that was a bit weird and quirky at the end was when it had the... Um, the credits but it showed some of the main characters and it showed a little clip of them just kind of like f- lifted a clip from the film of them talking and it had their name i just thought it was a bit weird and quirky i hadn't seen that before but hey a nice little bit i added on there callum thank you for diving into thank you what, what could yeah. have been the overwhelming discussion of citizen kane but i think we've dealt with it pretty well I enjoyed what, it. Did what, you? I did indeed. What, what a way that you, what a way to end it off as well. The uh, complications of innocence, absolutely, as it, were, as it were. No, yeah, brilliant film, and as always, uh, a fantastic chat. I'm sure the listeners were enthused. Of course, so, as yeah. always, as always, and as was I, Callum. Thank you once again for the chat. We will wrap it up there. But of course, we will be continuing to watch a lot of great films and we will be chatting about them for your pleasure, mainly for our pleasure, but we will, of course, be sending out the audio to you for the next episode of the Glass 8 Film Club podcast. But until next time, keep watching films and we'll speak to you later. Bye-bye.